Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. All right, welcome in. Cube Show, a college football podcast that comes to you on Sundays. It is uh, Sunday, about 6.30 p.m. I'm in my hotel room, Charlotte, North Carolina. Came over from Knoxville this morning. No flights. They were all sold out. So uh, rode over this morning. Got a chance to watch some film on the way here. So that was good. Got to catch up. It was a big weekend in the SEC. Obviously, all conference matchups. So it was huge. And we're going to get into all of them. I've watched a film of every game. Going to kind of let you know what I saw, break it down for you a little bit, individual performances as well as team performances, go through some of the scheme. Uh, Good weekend in Knoxville, though. And don't forget, we're brought to you by Wickles Pickles. Uh, Appreciate the shirt. Wickedly delicious. And you can now use promo code CUBE. Save 15% off your order at WicklesPickles.com. So just go order. We've had a couple of you. And keep tweeting in the pictures, by the way. If you go get Wickles at your grocery store or if you have them shipped to you, if you don't have them in your grocery store, tell them you want them and then go and have them shipped as well. And you can save 15% with promo code CUBE at WicklesPickles.com. They're wickedly delicious at Wickles Pickles on Instagram. Go get some good recipes there, some different things that you can do. You can snack on them. You can use them for appetizers, different things, and they are delicious. All right. Uh, it was a fantastic weekend in Knoxville, the place was rocking. I mean, that was what Neyland Stadium is supposed to be. That's what I remember it like in 1999 is the loudest stadium that I've ever played in. I said that on the broadcast. I'll continue saying that because it just is. And, you know, when they run through the tee and they've got the orange ring going around, the spotlight coming down and the place was jammed, uh, there was a revenge game for the fans. I don't think that played too much into it with the players, but for the fans, I do think that that revenge factor played a big part in how loud it was, how crazy the town was. I actually didn't get out on Friday night. I needed sleep. I I needed rest. And I kind of wanted to watch Utah, Oregon State. Um, But nonetheless, it was it was cool just being around it. the energy that was there. It was it was on another level. Great visits with the coaches. Coach Heupel was fantastic with us. Uh, Always. Uh, enjoy visiting with Coach Hazel and uh, Coach Banks as well. Had a lot of good things to say about this team, the maturity of this team. I think they really like. I think when when you look at the fact that guys like Tyler Barron, uh, they're telling us how they care more about the team than they do individual things and how Joe Milton is helping Nico and, and bringing him along and just going out of his way to be a better teammate. There's a maturity with this team that I'm not sure a lot of us thought was going to be there heading into this year. Um, but they take out South Carolina 41-20. to 20. It was a dominant performance. And one of those performances on the ground that I think Tennessee fans should be used to, and there's still this misconception. I'm going to find my notes here for you real quick on my chart for the game. There's still this misconception, you know, that this team has to throw 20 deep balls a game or complete 20 deep balls a game. And that's the only way it can go. And that's why people were mad at Joe Milton. And that's why, you know, this he wasn't working the offense the right way and it wasn't going. So I thought it was pretty cool when we talked to Joey Housel 
the offensive coordinator, and we were talking about he, – he said, when we changed this offense in 2016. And so I went back and I looked at the numbers – since they've been together, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. This is the differences in rush attempts and pass attempts. When I say plus, that means more rush attempts than pass attempts because they've never had more pass attempts than rush attempts in a single season in this offense. Starting in 16, plus 52, plus 56, plus 202, plus 102, plus 29 in 2020, plus 201, plus 101. So... It's a fairly big differential in rush attempts versus pass attempts. So I think what you saw last night when this football team goes out and Jalen Wright goes 16 for 123 and they have a solid day on the ground, uh, they rush 40 times for 238 yards. They had that three-headed monster at tailback. That's what they want it to be. And I think when you get what you got over at right tackle in this game, that's probably with Gerald Mincy. That's probably with him over there and with Cooper Mays back at center. That's probably the best possible lineup for that offensive line. And I will say this, Cooper Mays made a difference. He made a big difference. The operation just looked clean, crisp, on point. Joe Milton told us, he said, he's the only guy that can play center that I trust to change something on his own. And I'll just follow his lead. Um you know, Coach Heupel told us they'll, they'll throw things at him that they've never scouted before, that they've never seen, and he's he can call it out, diagnose it, get him into the right blocking scheme, change the mic, whatever it needs to be. So, And I thought I saw a little more physicality with him in there, just a little more oomph with, with Cooper in at center. And I think that helped, and I think you saw it, and I think that's going to be something moving forward Tennessee's going to be able to lean on. Uh, Jacob Warren had the touchdown catch, and then obviously – uh, was good in the run game as well. They're going to insert the tight ends. They're going to pull them across the line of scrimmage in the, in the split zone stuff. They use them a lot. And so the physicality with this group kind of starting to show up. And that was remember, that was the big difference last year. I don't. It wasn't Jalen Hyatt only. It wasn't Hendon Hooker only. It was the physicality for me that took it to the next level. And I think they found a little against the South Carolina defensive line with TJ Sanders, Tonka Hemingway, Boogie Huntley that had been playing some pretty good football. That front seven was is that's not a bad front seven that they just went against with the Gamecocks. Now, the safety fits for Carolina, I do think were a little bit of a problem. You saw more of that. Um, it, it was a little bit of an issue in coverage, some. Um, now some of the one-on-ones, you know, Tennessee just won those. Um, but missing tackles coming down into the box, something that can't take place as far as fitting up the run for South Carolina. I think that was a little bit of an issue. And then on offense, South Carolina just couldn't protect. Um, Mario Anderson did go for over 100, but I don't think it was a consistent rushing attack that they had the entire game. He is a little better in that zone scheme, though. Like He has a suddenness, the ability to see things and then get back left or right and then get north and south. I think they will benefit from him in that system, in that scheme. And I think the offensive line that they had last night is going to be best suited for them moving forward to find the most success. So now you have other running backs like on who can kind of get north and south. Juju, who's a little bit better in pass pro. And you can have Mario be sort of your feature with the stretch play and then build off that. Um, but Rattler didn't have time to get going last night. Let's not pretend like it was anything different than that. You know, Tree struggled over on the left side. Right tackle struggled a little bit. They couldn't get him enough help with the tight ends and backs. I know they said they wanted to play more 12 personnel with two tight ends in the game and try to figure out different ways to help and chip and widen that surface. But it just, at some point, that pass rush was too much. And, I mean, Tennessee with with, Tyler, with Nick Pierce and, and Tyler Barron and those guys off the edge, 
I mean, it was it was a furious pass rush that did not stop. That was a problem the entire night. 19 was bringing it off the edge as well. I mean, Tim Banks didn't even really have to dial up a lot of pressures. He didn't have to be super aggressive because they could just rush off the edge and be problematic. So I think you're going to see both of these teams head into bye weeks, really need them. A lot of young guys that need reps, a lot of guys that just need to get healthy. And with, with both these teams now, I think you found your offensive lines. Uh, we know what you are, quarterback. Now South Carolina found running back. Xavier Leggett is your go-to wide receiver. What can you find to compliment him? And can you get Juice Wells back at any point in the season? I think that's the biggest question. So that's just kind of some of the things that I think – I know I noticed when I was there. Um, you know, for Tennessee, I think that win, it just it's huge for a lot of different reasons. I mean, the revenge factor, yes, but, you know, you're not going to – the players don't really get into that and buy into that. I don't think that's something that you look at that they have – they can't prepare. You can't prepare for a game based off revenge. You prepare for each opponent based on what you've installed, what you can run, where the mismatches are, and being able to find those. And obviously, Tennessee used some tempo and used that rushing attack with more physicality up front to be able to find ways to be successful. Hated to see Brew McCoy go out. I know what he means to that team. His journey is just remarkable. He had family in town from California. And uh, just absolutely hated that for him. I thought it was really cool, the nice things that Heupel said about him, how much he means to that program, what a great kid he is, what a good worker he is. And just wish him a full and speedy recovery to get back in time to train for the draft. And I got a kid that I expect to be on an NFL roster down the road. Um, Joe Milton, um, you know, did he hit everything down the field? No, but I still thought he was solid, you know, 21 to 32, he you know, had one touchdown, the two picks. The one pick over the middle was bad. I think that was just one he kind of locked into and knew he was going to throw it. Uh, I do think the coverage went from cover two to cover three, and so therefore middle field safety he kind of didn't see. Uh, the two turnovers, you want those back, yes. Uh, the seven flags, you, you're going to get some of those with tempo and different things like that, but – you know, it's all in all, I thought it was a it was a it was a pretty strong performance from Tennessee. Get it at home in front of those fans. And it doesn't get any easier with, with AM coming up in two weeks. Two of fifteen on third down for South Carolina, not gonna cut it. But when your quarterback has to get rid of the ball that quickly and is uncomfortable, you just there's not a whole lot you can do. There's not a whole lot you can add to that. I think if if they went back, probably being backed up just before the half where you throw the pick six. You, you probably just get out of there to one-score game and say, let's try to regroup for the second half and get something ready. But like Shane Beamer told me at halftime, a lot of it was just discipline issues, routes being cut off a little bit too short, routes not necessarily being where they needed to be, obviously the protection stuff and some of the penalties. Um, they had some good things in that could have worked. It's just they, they couldn't sustain, they couldn't hold up for a long enough period of time. Um, but I feel pretty good about where South, where South Carolina's headed. I feel, I feel pretty good about where they're going as far as how it's being built and what they have. Even this year, if they can get some guys healthy, I really do think that they're going to be able to put some things together and potentially be able to find a couple more wins down the stretch. For Tennessee, a lot of it's going to be availability. Probably not going to have Brew McCoy. Dante Thornton had the hamstring. Does he get back? Can he help you out? Can he fill in there? Um, you know, some of the other receivers have been dinged up. Joe Milton's not 100%, so they need this. And uh, you, know, you get one of your big defensive tackles back, that helped. And that group's going to be able to roll a bunch of fresh bodies inside, and that's why that defense, I think, is looking a little bit better than it is before. And they expect to get Keenan Peely back at some point as well. 
which would also be a big help for Tennessee. Um, all right, I want to tell you guys quickly about Manscaped. Um, get 20% off free shipping with the code CUBE, C-U-B-E, at manscaped.com. 20% off and free shipping with promo code CUBE. Listen up, you fantasy football fanatics, as draft season approaches, don't neglect the most important draft pick of all. That's your game balls right there that you've got. We all know how injuries can ruin a season, so let Manscaped take care of that Reggie Bush of yours with their skin-safe technology. This should guarantee you a smooth ride right into the playoffs. Uh, the leader in below-the-waist groomings created a championship lineup with their Performance Package 4.0, and it's time for you to do the same. Join the 9 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped and get ready for kickoff by going to manscaped.com today. Save 20% and get free shipping with promo code CUBE, C-U-B-E. Don't forget, they've got that lawnmower 4.0, 4,000K LED spotlight, Brighter than Bright's Young's future that gets you into the end zone. Also, the 4.0 includes the Weed Whacker, the Ultimate Flex that you've got, uh, the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, and the Crop Receiver to help your bench warmers in their A-game. Go to manscaped.com, promo code CUBE, C-U-B-E, get 20% off and free shipping with that promo code CUBE at manscaped.com. All right, uh, Florida. Goes down to Kentucky over the weekend. Uh, this is one that I watched live, and then I went back and watched the tape today. 33-14, to 14, Kentucky smashes Florida. And everybody's going to point to the penalty, uh, you know, jumping over the personal protector and punt, and I get it. And this is one thing that's got to change. Like, the operation of some of these things have to change. 13 men on the field on defense, you still give up a touchdown, so who cares? But still, that's the operation of the football team. That, that, that can't continue to be what it is and, and operate how it is. You know, then, too, you, you look at just you know, some of the other things that took place during the course of the game, like 10 penalties total for 86 yards. That, that can't be something that just happens. Um, and then making that mistake on special teams that was so costly because the next play, Ray Davis goes for, what, 75 yards and scores a touchdown. Ray Davis was insane. You've heard us talk about him through the offseason, through the regular season, 26 for 280. I thought Stoop was going to leave him in to go for 300 late. I feel like he could have gotten it. Scored three touchdowns. Uh, had one catch for eight yards and another touchdown. Uh, I mean, the guy was just fantastic. I don't know what else to say. The big blue wall looked like it was back. I thought the right side played well. I thought both tackles played well. Marquez Cox was doing some nasty, nasty things up front on that offensive line. Maybe the best game I've seen Jeremy Flax play in a Kentucky uniform. He was great. They were all great. And were they perfect? No. Were they dominant every snap? No. But compared to where it was last year, and even compared to where it's been this year, I thought that Kentucky offensive line took a big step and looked a lot better. So I was impressed with how they played and what they did. Um, Ray Davis, a big part of that. You didn't even have to really let the quarterback start to go. I mean, it's 69 yards passing total. So it wasn't a game that was in the lap of Devin Leary. And I can't think of something that a head coach wants more of a ball game that you don't even have to put it into your quarterback's hands. You can rely on what the guys up front are doing, what your backs are doing, and probably what he's getting you into that is going to allow you to go out and win the football game. I thought the defense was exceptional up front. Deion Walker was in the backfield. J.J. Weaver was in the backfield. Trevin Wallace was all over the place, side to side. Um, I mean, it was there – were, there were multiple players individually who flashed at different times along that front seven for Kentucky. And I think it was more collective – 
than really one or two guys just dominating up front. Brad White had a great plan. You saw that wild defense, what we called it when I was at Auburn, the Jolie Dunn, sort of everybody standing up, moving around defense. He overloaded different sides a couple of times. So, I mean, I think he he had an idea of what he wanted to do and some problems he thought he could present, and it worked. Um, also, Alex Afari, nine tackles, one TFL. This is a young man we've brought up multiple times on the show this year. Like he gets guys to the ground. And it's one thing Kentucky did as a team also. Out in space, some of those easy throws, whether it's off bootlegs or a split zone with the tight end coming across, quick distribution, they didn't allow those to turn into 50- and 80-yard gains. Kind of like Florida allowed some of the run plays and quick throws, little dump-offs to turn into explosive plays for Kentucky. I mean, this Kentucky offense can generate explosives on offense – and get guys to the ground on defense the way that they did, they're going to be a problem. And I think this team is probably better suited, some of it having to do with Georgia, who we'll talk about a little bit later, to give Georgia real problems this coming up weekend. I mean, I think this is not a Georgia team that relies on blunt force trauma, physical brutality. They don't just beat you up with that, and there's not a damn thing you can do about it. So this Kentucky team doesn't have to match that like they've had to match it in the past. I hate to get a little ahead of ourselves and start previewing that game, but it's just when I start thinking about it, that's really the first thing that comes to mind. Uh, Mertz was 25 and 30, 244, two touchdowns and a pick. Um, I, I heard somebody saying like in a highlight, Mertz can't do that. The ball hit the receiver in the hand, man, catch the football. Uh, I thought there were a couple – did Merch miss, miss a few down the field? He did, but I thought there were also some other catchable balls that weren't brought in. Um, I did think Cam Jackson did some good things up front for the Florida defense. I did think Shamar James did some good things up front for that defense. But there was too much diving at ankles for the Florida defense. I mean, even the one play when you had 13 defenders in, you run a stunt and the linebacker's got a clear path to the back and he just dives at his ankles. Like, that kind of stuff can't happen. Um, and it's you saw a lot of defensive linemen out of their gaps, a lot of defensive linemen standing up, so not playing good technique. And I'll be honest, there were a couple guys that just didn't look like they wanted to be out there, plain and simple. I don't know a nice way to say it. I don't know how to really um, sort of circumvent that, but there were a couple of guys on certain plays that looked disinterested, and that's got to change. The, the motivation's got to be there to go out and play hard for four quarters. That's what you're there to do. Um but I thought it was a good plan on both sides for Kentucky. Um, really took advantage of some of those defensive linemen being out of place, being able to dislodge them from their gaps, and then relying on your running back to go out there and make plays. So that was an impressive win, man. I mean, first time Kentucky's had three in a, three in a row sent for, against Florida since like 1951, I believe. I mean, it's just Mark Stoops keeps doing amazing things in Lexington, and now you get 5-0 and Kentucky and 5-0 and Georgia in Athens next weekend, it's going to be massive. For Florida, you, you, I will say this. The offensive plan, I wasn't really mad at because I, I feel like it was there. When you get guys space, when you get a running back to the safety, your job is to make the safety miss. When you get a receiver out in space with a, you know, a six- or eight-yard cushion, you got to make a guy miss. You get balls down the field that you can get a hand on, you got to make those plays. So I did feel like there were plays on the field that could have been made, that were there for the taking, that just weren't capitalized on. So I, I didn't walk away from that game saying, man, that was a crummy plan from Billy and those guys. Like, I didn't see that. I thought the execution was poor. Some of the effort was poor. I mean, they missed pressures up front. Like I, 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 and, and it was pressure. The quarterback missed a couple. Like the quarterback, for example, Graham Mertz, in this game specifically, like when you have a five-man 
surface. Like you have five man pass protection, that's it. And you're going to slide that because of an overload to one side. The ball has to come out. There's no time to waste. You can't sit around and decide. Like that's not being redirected to this side when they drop off and bring from the other side. You have to know what's hot and the ball's got to come out. Like that was a problem in that game. And I didn't really understand it. I didn't understand why that continued to happen. That was a problem for a couple of teams this weekend. But 33-14, nice win for Kentucky against the Gators. All right, uh, Texas A&M. They, uh, they handle Arkansas, and this game probably a little bit closer than the score indicates for a while, and then A&M kind of pulled away. Um, first thing, Max Johnson's got to protect himself. Like, you're already the backup quarterback. He did some good things. I appreciate your bravado, but like, you got to get to the ground. Like, nobody wants to get to the third-string quarterback here and then have no idea what's coming up next behind him. Um, 17 to 28, 210. He did have the two fumbles as well. Like, AM won this game because the defense dominated and they ran the ball well. But if they're going to continue to get wins, especially against top-tier opponents that are coming up on the schedule, like Alabama this weekend, quarterback's got to protect the football. You throw a pick and you lose two fumbles, you don't win a lot more games on your schedule doing that. Uh, I did think the, the offensive line played a little bit better collectively. I liked what I saw from the left tackle, right guard, right tackle. I thought did some nice things. Still not as consistent as I want to see it. But I thought they did some good things, and I thought they made some plays. Ernest Crownover is becoming one of my favorite players in college football. A&M fullback number 24. He catches the touchdown pass. He had a couple big blocks in this game as well. Uh, A&M goes 39 carries, 204 yards on the ground. Uh, Arkansas goes 39 for 42 on the ground. And that takes us to where this game was won, and that is Isaiah Rakes, Walter Nolan, Shamar Turner, Fadil Diggs, McKinley Jackson. Um Albert Regis, like this defensive line dominated again. And I don't think the Arkansas offensive line is great, but it's not a really bad, it's not a poor offensive line. This group's just good, man. Like they did this. There's been three teams in the last 20 years that have had back-to-back 15 tackle for loss games. I think there was a Boston College team, a Miami team, and somebody else, uh, this A&M team, so four total that have done it. I mean, it's, it's insane to think about what they're doing. So 30 tackles for loss and 14 sacks the last two weeks. Any of you watching this could be a pretty good defensive coordinator with that kind of production up front. It doesn't really matter what you call everywhere else. When you have that kind of disruptive effort from that many different guys, it's one thing to have a Quinnen Williams or a Booger McFarlane or an Indomitian Sue, whatever it is. But when you have four, five, six, seven guys – that can be equally disruptive at different times, there aren't answers for that. There are none. And I think I think it took Arkansas a little bit longer to figure out to get to some of the gap scheme runs. So blocking back and pulling around, uh, you have to sort of negate some of that penetration. Um, I also think that, you know, some of the quick ball distribution is a little bit difficult because Arkansas doesn't have a lot of catch and run guys. It was great to see Rocket Sanders back in the lineup. He's one of my favorite players in college football. He's fun to watch. and He did some good things. He ran hard, man. He was like a physical punishing runner, but he didn't get a ton of opportunities. They kind of couldn't get him rolling. Um, it's just one of those things where, like, yes, Andrew Armstrong, three for 78 and a touchdown. He has the big catch down the middle of the field, but he's not a catch and run guy. Arkansas lacks the speed guy in the slot or out of the backfield that can give you the quick catches and then turn those into big gains. That's why I thought 10 of Marion Brown coming back for South Carolina was going to be so big this week, but they just kind of struggled to get in the ball. Fumbles, 
bad snaps, like part of the offensive operation for Arkansas, just sloppy, man. And I'm going to be honest with you guys. These bad snaps we're seeing pretty much all over the place, I don't understand it. Like, not this late in the season. We're to week five. We got bad snaps happening all over the place. Like Alabama's got bad snaps flying left and right. It's just, it's ridiculous to see that we're still having that. The good notes for Arkansas, Trajan Defco did some good things. Eric Gregory did some good things. I thought Landon did some good things up front as well. But consistently, I didn't think a lot of the defensive line was where they needed to be. And I'm going to say this right now. Listen to me closely. Le'Veon Moss is a feature SEC running back. Bobby and Jimbo need to find a way to start to feature this young man because he had a couple little shifty moves. There was one little and he he yanked the guy out of his shoelaces in the middle of the field. But he has legitimate pop when he runs the football. Like he can run you over. Uh, A&M has a a running back that I feel like if they wanted to dedicate themselves to and just ride, they can do it. I love the way Bobby's using Anaya Smith, move him all over the field, get him the ball quickly. Like he's the guy with Arkansas I'm talking about that's just not really there. So you have a lot of good catch guys and maybe even good route runners, but just can't create a ton of separation. And it, it's, it becomes easier to defend and makes it tough on KJ. So uh, I thought KJ did some good things. Like he he moved in the pocket well. He evaded some rush. He like tried to make some throws under pressure. It just wasn't going to be there. And it's we'll talk about another team in a minute. Like when it's not there in the middle, you got to get uber creative to find different ways to move the football. And I didn't think there was enough creativity there with that Arkansas offense this weekend. So. You know, hey, and you have a tight end that you were starting to lead on that goes out of the game early. That doesn't help either. Um, but this AM defensive line, man, whew, they are going to be a handful for anybody to deal with moving forward. Another quick preview the Alabama O line that we'll talk about in a minute, they actually looked really good this weekend for the first time. That's going to be World War III this weekend, and I can't wait to see it. So. And I know you guys probably can't wait for me to talk about athletic or AG1. The daily used to be called Athletic Greens, now AG1, daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports the whole body, whole body health. I drink it every day. So there are nutrients in AG1 that I know I'm not going to get with my regular diet. So what I've decided to start doing is after I do my radio show every morning, I've got the powder in the office. I take my AG1 cup, my glass, which probably have it in my backpack right here. I may have put it somewhere else. Bam, there it is. Look at that. AG1 right there. And then we always got the little travel packs. So let's see, I take them on the road. You guys think I'm playing about that, but I'm not. Um, so I finish my fast every morning after the show with AG1. I get the nutrients that I need. And I know that I'm not going to get them any other way. That's the problem. Like, there's, there's not, I'm not going to eat the foods necessary to be able to get these nutrients each and every day with every daily serving i'm setting myself up for success with 75 high quality ingredients that give me key daily nutrients and support energy focus strength and clarity all things that you guys know i, I need a lot more of especially energy this time of year and the next two weeks coming up are going to be wah. Um, it's a it's a micro habit that delivers macro benefits just remember that so just all you're doing is you're drinking this every morning and you're getting a ton throughout the course of the day costs less than three dollars a day 
It's actually not, not bad. It tastes pretty good if you ask me. Really effective daily habit to just go ahead and get into and then just keep it going forever. Because it doesn't matter what diet you're on. It doesn't matter what you're doing nutritionally. You're not going to be getting everything that you need that AG1 is going to deliver to you each and every day. So here's what you need to do. Comprehensive solutions, what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1. Get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs, just like that one, after your free purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash cube, C-U-B-E, drinkag1.com slash cube, and try it today. Just go check it out. See why it works for me. See if it can work for you. Drinkag1.com slash cube, and check out AG1 and what they can do for you. Uh, I'm actually not going to go to LSU and Ole Miss. I'm going to save that one for last. So I'm going to go to Georgia and Auburn. Um, and Gary Danielson says right before the game that Hugh Freeze is going to call plays. He said that in their open. So I imagine that's something that they shared there, and, and Hugh calls this game. I will say this. I thought the offensive plan was fantastic. It had to be misdirection. It had to be movement. It had to be motion. It had to be stealing some of those Georgia defenders' eyes if you were going to find success. Going back to what we said about Arkansas against A&M, and Auburn saw this against A&M, it wasn't going to be there in the middle. It's just not. That doesn't mean you don't ever try it. Because if you noticed in this game, and I'm sure there were some Auburn fans that said, why we keep running in the middle? It ain't going to go nowhere. Here's the thing. What you got with those middle runs is, yes, mostly stops by defensive linemen, not a lot of push. But those second and third level defenders, they have to come up and play that as well. Well, then you get the east and west stuff. Well, if they're coming to play that because you've shown you'll hand it off, that's when some of the fakes and some of the reads that he provided got some things going out on the perimeter. And I don't think that I don't think Schumann and Kirby probably thought that Peyton Thorne was going to keep as many balls as he did and be able to hurt him on the outside. But I do think a lot of that was set up in different ways. Now, Peyton Thorne still has a real problem not getting the ball out of his hands, like a real problem. And I really don't know where Auburn's going to go at quarterback. I don't know what you do. Robbie Ashford is a more dynamic runner. He's a more dynamic athlete. But I think he actually gives you less in the passing game. Um, I don't know where Holden Garner is right now, if that's a real option, if they think that they can even get him ready to maybe win game. I, I don't know. But Peyton showed a little bit more mobility than I think we thought he had. So maybe now that you know you have that, people have to defend it a little bit differently outside, and it can open up some other things. Um, because one of the things I saw with Georgia's offense, sticking right there with why some of the things Auburn had that worked, and they got a, I got a lot, of, a lot of things to say about some of you folks that have been tweeting about some Georgia items. Georgia, not a lot backside, not a lot of boots, not a lot of play-action rollouts. Not a lot of quarterback keeps. So you saw some Auburn defenders really start humming down the line of scrimmage and helping on making a few of those plays. So it's just something that the Georgia offense, I think, is going to need to add moving forward. Not right now, and I'm not saying that Bobo did a bad job. I actually thought Bobo called a pretty good game. You look at the run variance that he has, the different style rushing attack that he brings to the table. Uh, you saw some different formations with like – offset back, offset back, tight end, or like tight end, H-back, offset back. It was a UCLA formation. I'm pretty sure he stole it from Chip. Um, but then you get some different reads off that. You get different inserts off that in the run game. Split zone. You saw counter. You saw duo. You saw inside zone. You saw a lot of different things 
And that's why I think the passing game gets going because you vary the run game the way that you do. Obviously, Bell in the backfield gives him most explosive capability. I think he's a great changeup. Edward goes 19 for 76. The, the Auburn D-line played well, and the Georgia offensive line did not play great. So, I mean, you're playing in one of the toughest environments in college football, and you've got a lot of new on your offense. You got McConkie back, which was great. I love seeing him back in the lineup, but you probably weren't going to lean on him. And there was some tough sledding. But these people on, on Twitter that I saw as I was getting ready for my game that are talking about, okay, are we ready to move on from Carson Beck or is the Carson Beck thing done? Are we finished with that? I put the film on and I can't believe my eyes because all the negativity that I saw on Twitter about how they wanted the next guy in. And here's Carson Beck just throwing darts. Pew, 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 pew. I'm like, who was mad at this kid? And what are you mad at him about? Like, what in the hell did you see when you watched this game? Uh, Marcus Harris played good up front for Auburn. I thought 52 did some good things up front. Auburn needs more of an edge presence. The, the edge rushers get washed down and washed past the quarterback way too easily. They're too light. They're just not heavy-handed. And McAllister's not very twitchy. So it made creating a pocket a little bit easier. This kid made big throws, man. And then there's people that, well, he's, he has Brock Bowers on his team. Well, at least he's smart enough to know to throw the ball to Brock Bowers at the end of the game, and the two throws he put on him were pretty damn good. I know they were one-handed catches, but they were darts. So I actually left this game more impressed with Carson Beck than what I was in the past, yet all I see is negativity floating around about how people want him benched. And if you're sitting there and you're seeing what Michael Penix is doing or Caleb Williams is doing or Shador Sanders is doing, you're like, why don't we want that? I want that. You don't run that offense so you can't have that, and you won't have that because your coaching staff is not chasing that, which I think is a good thing because you saw Dumas Johnson, Smale Munden, and those linebackers and Tyke Smith and the safeties make some plays and do some good things. Like you came to a rivalry game on the road, a team that was highly motivated, that switched up their play caller and had some good things in the tank, probably threw most of it out there against you. Defensive line was playing out of their minds. A linebacker in Eugene Asante has been playing out of his mind all year and did again. A really good secondary, by the way. An underrated secondary, especially with what Simpson's been doing this year. I did want to see more effort on that Bowers touchdown in the corner of the end zone, though. And it was a tough game. Great teams win tough games. I mean, you know, I had the Missouri game last year. I know what that thing was like. So... Um, I think that it's not one that I think I'm, I'm super down on Georgia. Do I think what they are what they've been the last few years? No, I don't. Uh, but you outrush Auburn, you know, 219 to 107, and, you know, you get the win, you get it done. Thorne, 10 of 19. He rushed 12 times for 92 yards. He threw for 82. Ashford, 1 of 1 for 6. There were 2 of 12 on third down. Again, the quarterback thing I just don't know because there's still – I still watch Peyton Thorne just not be able to release the football, and I, I can't. My brain doesn't process it. Like there were so many throws. There weren't as many as last week, but there were just throws that were there that could have been had and were there for the taking. And it's just like, dude, take the free grass and just get out of there. But it's it's maybe it's this mental hurdle that's got to be overcome. I don't know. But I know uh, Coach Freeze did have a great plan in. And I thought they had a great plan defensively also because the way they varied the pressures, it did throw Georgia off a little bit. I'll say this about Georgia. I thought Cedric Van Pran had a good game. You played two left guards for a reason. First guy whiffed about four times. He was on his face mask more than he was on his feet. The two tackles were standing up the majority of the game. They played too high. They were tiptoeing through half the game. So you can point to the quarterback, but I saw a receiver, 
not indicate a hot that was coming off the edge that he should have stepped in front of and pick up, and he kind of half-assed it and didn't get there. I saw the backs miss a couple of pressures. So if you're seeing pressure on the quarterback and he's having to move, which, by the way, he handled that pressure really well, that's collective. That's not one guy. So that was just my thought on on Carson Beck in Georgia and Kirby and those guys getting a big win at Auburn, uh, 27 to 20. Alabama takes out Mississippi State, 40 to 17. Uh, a workmanlike performance, sort of. Milro, 10 of 12, 164. I like some of the design runs. The escapability when he decides to escape and then just go, I think it's what it's got to be for him. He's got to live there. He's got to be better with that. Uh, Chris Braswell, great game, pick six. Dallas Turner had a sack. He was good off the edge. I thought Tim Smith did some good things inside. You know, Deontay Lawson is not there for the game to be able to give guys their signals and whatnot through the entire ball game. So Jihad Campbell goes out there. I thought he had a nice game. I thought the DBs defended well. I thought the front probably moved a little bit too much. I thought they were maybe a little over-aggressive, didn't really have to be. Um, but either way, Alabama's defense was pretty dominant. You put State in a pretty rough spot. Woody Marks goes nine carries for 68 yards. Man, he still has a really good feel for that zone scheme, though. Like it's he, he can be the he can be the straw that stirs this drink in this offense. But obviously, you have Will Rogers, and you want him to be a part of it as well. Got to be more Tulu. Uh, five for 21 receiving, two for one rushing the football. Find a way to force feed him the ball. Like he's too dynamic. He's too good. He's got to get more touches. I don't. I, it, it just doesn't matter. He's got to get more touches. Rogers, fifteen to twenty-seven. Like I felt bad. He was under. He was under pressure a lot. Like he was in a lot of, especially the bootlegs, the play actions, the read plays. Like those backside defenders for Alabama. They were man. They were on him like that. It was not good. So just didn't look comfortable. I thought he forced a couple of throws that led to the interceptions. Yes, one ball tipped, but still, I just. He didn't ever look really comfortable in the pocket. And I, I didn't think it was a great performance by that Mississippi State offensive line and pass pro, but in the run game, they did do some things. It's just this score dictated this game start to go a different direction. And because Alabama jumped out on them so early, things just weren't going to be the way that they wanted them to be going in as far as what the plan was. Um, Jet and Buki, 14 and 12 tackles, just cornerstone staples of this defense. Thought they played well. Physicality there. Um, but they probably needed to get home in their pressures a little bit more. Like, um, like you've got Dontre Russell playing up front. He had five tackles, but the kid's like 230. And he's taking on double teams like as an edge defender. Um, they just don't look as stout up front as they have in the past. And the lack of speed shows, especially on the back end, and that's something they've got to try to coach around and got to try to overcome because you're going to get against more teams that have better receiving cores than what Alabama did, and they're going to be more balanced, and you're not going to be able to fly down against the run. Um, offensively for Alabama, I thought this is the way that offensive line is supposed to look. Tyler Booker played out of his mind. Uh, Latham had a couple of big blocks. Um, I thought Dalcourt had one of his better games, probably his best game of the season so far. Seth's got to get the snaps figured out, man. It's 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 – I, I don't even know what to say, how to say it, where to go with it. Like, it, it can't keep happening. It's egregious. Um, it's just You can't keep doing it. But I thought Milrow looked comfortable. I thought he looked confident. Nye Black was incredible. Uh, had, a, had just like three or four really big catches. 
he was he was fantastic. And I think you see maybe now Milrow understands like if this guy's one on one, I can float it up there and he's probably gonna go get it. And Amari Nyback showed in this game that he would, that he could. Thought the backs ran hard. Got to see the young back late. He looks a little different. Like I I was impressed with Justice Haynes when he got a chance to tote the rock. But this offensive line moved people. And that's a front that gives you a lot of movement, a lot of weird looks, a lot of different pressures, even against the run. And they kind of handled it. When I say handle it, that doesn't mean you're perfect. You're not batting a thousand, but they did things they needed to do to be successful, maintaining the rushing attack, moving the chains. And they look dominant at times. And we haven't said that about that group very much this year. So I thought that was a good performance by the Alabama O-line. Uh, Robbie Utes was a part of that. I would just kind of include him in that group as well. He did some good things blocking and helping out. So, you know, keep the design quarterback runs going. Get away from the elongated reads. One thing that I will say, I've had a lot of people ask me, like the zone read, why don't they get more of that? I was told at that first game that Jalen's just not good at it. And – I, I can't give you a whole lot more than that. That's just what I was told. I don't know what he did in high school, how he did it in high school, but apparently that zone read mesh is not something he's great with. So I I don't know. Maybe they can get used to it and get it going later in the year. It's All I know is that offensive line's got their work cut out for him this week because that A&M D-line freaking rips, and they are going to be an absolute handful to deal with. Now – one thing that uh, you might not need a handful to deal with, but that you just want to deal with is what kind of blue jeans you're going to wear. Go to bluedeltajeans.com, get custom denim made for you. I'm going back to Oxford this weekend, excited to be in the booth with Tom. And I'll go see Nick and the guys at Blue Delta because they always take great care of me and they always have the things that I need. And if I need anything done to my jeans that I've already purchased or if I want to get a new pair, they're going to hook me up right there, but you don't have to do that. You can go to bluedeltajeans.com, get a gift certificate, set up a fitting right there, and get the most comfortable, the most stretchy, breathable, enjoyable pair of jeans you've ever had in your life. I promise. You'll see me on Read and React tomorrow night with Roman Harper on the SEC Network, 6 p.m. That's Monday nights if you're listening to this late. I'll have Blue Delta jeans on because they're that comfortable, and that's what I like. So go check those out. All right, I want to get through the rest of these quickly. Missouri 38, Vandy 21. Brady Cook's in control of this offense, man. Like, the main thing that stuck out to me in this game is the quarterback runs are not by emergency anymore. The quarterback runs are – they're not even really a necessity. They've become a luxury in this offense. And it used to just be Brady Cook, oh, shit, I have to run. Or Brady Cook, I don't know what to do, panic mode, put the ball down and run. And then some of that was just like, we don't really know what else to do on offense, design something for him to keep the ball and run. Now the stretch play is going, and it wasn't going to the extent that it had in the past. Vanderbilt did a really good job of sort of – they sort of widened out their defenders, and so they played the linebackers a little bit closer, and the defensive linemen were a little bit wider, more apart from each other, so they spread things out, and I think that was intentional to slow down the stretch play because the, the Missouri offensive linemen were on different levels often, and I think that kept them from working their combination blocks really well. And then it gave Vanderbilt some run through occasionally. But it didn't matter because what they couldn't do is cover Luther Burden, who was ridiculous again, 11 for 140 and two touchdowns. Theo Weiss, the Oklahoma transfer, got going. He had 10 for 118 in a touchdown. He did have the fumble over the middle of the field, but you're going to forgive him because he had a pretty big game. Uh, Missouri outrushes 34 for 137. Vandy 20 for 41. This this Missouri defensive line can rip. Like they are, I'm not gonna, they're not what AM is, 
but the front seven collectively, like they penetrate, they disrupt, they cause problems. Blake Baker is they they've got that group playing hard. And you put that together with now an offense that seemingly has found itself. Guys, Brady Cook, three straight 300-yard games. He still has not thrown an interception this year. None of us thought we'd be saying this about this young man. He's playing out of his mind. And there are some risks that he still takes at times that I don't love. But I feel like he's in command of the offense, in control of the offense. So you have the stretch play going. You have a, a receiver that you're designing things for the majority of the game who can make everybody pay when you do. And then on top of that, you have now these complementary players like Brady Cook with his legs that he can throw in there every now and then. Or maybe a quick throw to the tight end with Theo Weiss over the middle. This offense, I'm, I'm, I'm here to tell you right now, it's being managed very well. And Kirby Moore has come in and done a really nice job putting this together, injecting some confidence into Brady Cook, designing a lot for Luther Burden, and just making it difficult to defend. Can't wait to see this game against LSU this weekend because a lot of what Ole Miss did, we're going to talk about it here in a second, can also work for what Missouri does and how they do it. So let's get to that last one of the day um, of the weekend, and it was the completely banana, completely bonkers. Ole Miss 55-49 win against LSU. Uh, 637 yards of offense for LSU. 706 yards of offense for Ole Miss. Here's the coolest part about this for Lane and Charlie Weiss. When you saw these numbers, if you didn't watch this game, you're being a good boy or girl, and you were watching our game on the SEC Network, South Carolina at Tennessee, um, you probably thought, man, this was some super complex scheme, and they went back to the drawing board, and they just did all this new stuff. and just It wasn't. Now, that doesn't mean it wasn't a brilliant plan, because it was. First thing that they did, and I've, I've, I've got to go. I asked my buddy uh, Clark Brooks for this number, so thank you, Clark Brooks. Go follow him on Twitter, at SEC StatCat. He's incredible. So the first thing I noticed in the run game for Ole Miss, pistol formation. So I said, Clark, how much, because I'm thinking this is going to be pretty low, how much has Ole Miss been in the pistol this year? And he sends me back. They had five rushing attempts and two passing attempts coming into this game. Well, guess what Lane Kiffin and Charlie Weiss did? They ran pistol. Why did they do that? Well, they wanted to even up the running game because their running back hadn't gotten going just yet. So what does that do? Running back offset to one side. There's only a small handful of runs that you can go there. And you can cheat it a little bit because if you're going to run stuff to the same side, it's usually easier to sort of recover or become available to make that play, even if you're cheating the, the main plays that are going to come. So when you're in the pistol, think about it. You're evened up. Zone to the right, zone to the left. Counter to the right, counter to the left. Whatever you want to run. It, and then if you want to go with some quarterback option stuff, quarterback keep. Like It just evens everything up. That's the beauty of it. And I don't think LSU prepped a lot for it, and they busted some big runs out of it. The weirdest play that we might have seen out of the pistol formation was the lead toss. Yes, for you LSU fans, I don't know if this was Lane trolling you or not, but the old Les Miles, Leonard Fournette, try it 72 times against an Alabama impenetrable defensive line, toss in the backfield, run straight between the guard and tackle play. Uh, yeah, Ole Miss was running that. Uh, also like the three by one stuff that they ran. So three receivers to one side, one receiver to the other side, basically is going to give you a little bit of a cushion to be able to do some different things. They would run into the one receiver side. 
A lot of quick throws from Jackson Dark. That was also a part of the plan. They didn't ask him to sit in the pocket very long. So LSU couldn't get pressure. Like, yeah, the LSU defensive line is better than the Ole Miss offensive line, but they weren't going to get back there and be able to pressure those guys because they didn't have time to do it. Um, and then, too, just the, the yards after catch were ridiculous. And this was probably the most surprising part about the LSU uh, defense is that, I mean, Wingo got home a few times. Like, Harold Perkins made some plays from the backside. 35 did a few good things. But, I mean, you also had, like, 90 plays to make some plays. So, I mean, if you made five big plays, that's 85 other plays that you didn't. And so, in a game like this, it, it, it requires more. Um, but I just thought it was a great game plan. Uh, I thought 57 played his best game of the season for Ole Miss up front on that offensive line. The O-line was better. Uh, but it was a formation clinic with formations into the boundary, which is going to pull more of your defenders that way. And then you have easier throws into the three-receiver side or the two, even the two-receiver side. Um, the crossers were a really big problem for LSU to defend. They picked themselves off those multiple times. Um, Caden Priestcorn was big for Ole Miss. He had a couple big blocks. He had a couple big catches. Had a big block on that last touchdown close to the end zone. Um, they had a lighter box. And with that evened up look out of the pistol, they could have more downhill runs. Think about it. When you're offset, it's not as fast hitting. Well, in the pistol, it can be a fast hitting run. They hit duo and inside zone a couple of times with those because they basically said, if you're going to play four or five in the box, we're going to try to run right at it and at least see what we can do. They had a little bit of success with that. Then they set up the read toss where it is an offset back and the, two, the backside guard and tackle pull to the left and then Jackson Dart reads that in and pitches off him to the right. They hit that a couple of times. So they had a lot of things set up, but, I mean, really it was more about players making plays. Like Judkins finally got going, 33 for 177. Trey Harris, 8 for 153 and a touchdown. I mentioned Priest Corn. He was big. And I want to tell you this, like Ulysses Bentley it can go. Like he can help them. I said it after we were there for the Georgia Tech game that I saw him had a couple big blocks and like physicality I was impressed with. It's not just physicality. He's got some wiggle and he's got some burst. And you saw it in this game. 24 is going to help Ole Miss down the road. Like he is going to be a nice compliment to what they're going to do with Judkins moving forward. And then you just got to give a lot of credit to Jackson Dart too, man. 26 of 39, 389, four touchdowns, no picks. Seven carries for 50 yards, a touchdown run. He's jumping over a dude in the middle of the field. He stood in the pocket and made a couple of big throws. He played excellent football. 49 carries, 317 yards for this Ole Miss football team. And for LSU defensively, it was just being out of position it was being lined up incorrectly, and it was not getting ball carriers to the ground. That's it. You can say, well, they didn't get home. Well, when you have quarterback basically catch, turn, throw, you're not, Lawrence Taylor and Derek Thomas aren't getting home against that, so it doesn't matter. Um, it was a good plan, and when they tried to back off, they would run right at them. When they tried to bring more guys down, the quick throws to the single coverage, and then the yak yards were just out of this world, which LSU had yak yards too. Uh, I mean, Jaden Daniels, 27 to 36, 414, four touchdowns, no picks. You could probably say that the fumble when he ran towards the, to the sideline to the right and he doesn't protect himself and he gets blown up and Ole Miss recovers that ball, maybe the difference in the game. No game's decided by one play, ever, never, ever. But I did think that, one, he's got to start protecting himself. Two, it was the only turnover in the game. Ole Miss had some penalties. You want to cut those down. Um, they did not defend their pass rush lanes very well. Pass rush lane integrity was out of whack. Uh, 15 carries for 99 yards for Jaden Daniels. That's too much with him leaving the pocket, even though he's really good at it. I get it. I understand that. 
But I thought like I thought Logan Diggs looked good again, 19 for I think 101, two touchdowns. Like he can be that guy that just is ground and pound and goes out and gets you those tough yards. Brian Thomas, ridiculous. Malik Neighbors, again, ridiculous. Both those guys over 100 yards receiving. Thomas, a couple of touchdowns. But the reality was there wasn't a lot of tackling in this game. There was a ton of yak yards in this game. You had two offenses that were just basically on tilt the entire game, and Ole Miss came up with a stop when they absolutely had to have it. That's the difference. I think the surprising part is, though, we never thought we would talk about this LSU defense like this. Never. We never thought that we'd be saying Makai Wingo and Mason Smith and Harold Perkins and these guys would be dealing with something like this. But Lane and Charlie put a good plan together, and they just they found some old things, they tweaked some new things, and they made very subtle changes to give that defense some big, big headaches. So, all right, that's uh, that's this week's episode. Those are the games of the week. We got another awesome round of games coming up next week. Uh, I mentioned Alabama and A&M. Can that Alabama offensive line look anything close to what they looked like this week? I mean, I it's going to be fun to watch because that A&M D-line can rip. Uh, will Max Johnson protect the football because Alabama's defense is playing really well? What's the Evan Stewart's health going to look like heading into this game? Uh, LSU, can they bounce back going to Como? I mean, this is the biggest game in Columbia, Missouri in since I, the Kansas State game. I don't know. I mean, I know LSU is going to be ranked 23rd, but still, it's L, it's a top 25 LSU team with a chance to get to 6-0 if you're Missouri. Like This is a massive game. And a lot of the things that we just talked about with that LSU defense, pistol formation, stretch play, play action, quarterback run, catch and run Luther Burden. You're gonna, I'm not saying it's the same, but some of it is the same, and you're going to get a lot of what you got last week, and you're going to get a much better defense, especially up front. By the way, the one thing about the Missouri defense, too, that secondary, they were almost always in great positions to make a play, either to knock a ball down or to get a ball, a ball receiver to the ground immediately. They did a good job with that. Mississippi State, Western Michigan, they need a win bad, man. Like, State's got great leadership. They need it now more than ever. They just need to get a win. Um, Vandy at Florida made the quarterback change. You know, um, I didn't speak a lot on the Vanderbilt offense. Um, you know, they did get 14 some shots down the field. I appreciated that. Um, they just they can't hold up up front. And so the quarterback, whether it's A.J. Swan, you know, whether it's, you know, I, it doesn't really matter. And you play two quarterbacks in this game, and you just wonder how are you going to be able to offset an offensive line that can't protect? And until you can figure that out, I, I don't really know where this offense goes because the quick distribution to the playmakers, be it on throws, sweeps, coming across the line of scrimmage, that's there. But it's just defenses know they're going to be able to get home and you're not going to have a lot of time to operate. Kentucky, Georgia is going to be huge. I think Kentucky has a better chance to win this game than they've had in my memory. Um, and then Arkansas's at Ole Miss will have that game. I mean, think about where we are now with Ole Miss compared to where we were one week ago. One week ago, you're talking about you just lost to Bama. You're probably going to lose to LSU. And then can you even regroup to stay on life support against Arkansas? Now you beat LSU. You got an Arkansas team limping in. And you got a chance to go to 5-1 and one and have a lot of things in front of you. So it's going to be a fun weekend of football. Thank you for tuning in. Always appreciate it. We just tell you what we saw in the film. We'll be back next week at Cube Show 61 on YouTube. Please subscribe. We always appreciate that. 
Uh, please go to Keep Show on Twitter, Keep Show on Instagram. You know, follow both of those. Follow along with us. We'll try to bring more and more clips throughout the course of the week. Go order some Wickles pickles. Go order some Manscaped, and come back next week and let's talk some more SEC football. Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.